Y'all, welcome back to Kentucky Fried Wargaming, where two guys who aren't qualified to talk about anything decide to talk about a game with hard math and chance. I'm Joe. And I'm John. And on this episode of the podcast, we're fulfilling a promise we made on the last episode. Uh, and that's that we would follow our, follow our own hobby inspiration uh, in terms of uh, topics for the podcast. And, uh, you know, so we wouldn't be dirty hypocrites. We thought it might behoove us to talk about stuff that we're personally interested in at the moment and that we're excited about and share the excitement with y'all as opposed to sort of uh covering some of the more i'd say standard things that the community is throwing around right now um and for us that means talking about the two armies that kind of grabbed us by the ear and yanked us off of our hobby schedule uh for me it's custodies and for john it's the terrible terrible star cultists you absolute Xenos heretic. Yes. I uh, I love the clicky-clacky of the three claws and the yeehaw cowboy of the man with three revolvers. With the big iron on his hip. It's... And also dirt pikes. And also go-karts. And also um, Toyota Hiluxes. Yeah, John. I ask again, what's your favorite dirt bike? If you're... Uh, <laughs> the channel and Ackles. I haven't gone and looked at dirt bike models. <laughs> you couldn't even give me a brand name. How dare you? Um, I but... mean, <laughs> motocross, Honda, Monster Energy Drink, dirt bike. There you go. What? John, I... You make me tired. Yeah, that's my job. <laughs> I'm going back to bed. Um, on this okay, episode, Super though, Bowl weekend, <laughs> yeah, on this the day of my Super Bowl for the first time in my life, the home team is good, and the Bengals are in the Super Bowl. You do this to me, <sighs> best. I'm 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 stuck on the Super Bowl, like the you... Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, if y'all out there are football fans, uh. I might be real grumpy depending on how this goes. I'm recording this a couple of hours before I head to a Super Bowl party uh, here in the greater Cincinnati region. And uh, let me tell y'all, it's exciting. I've even got some of my nerd friends into this football thing, which I never thought I'd see. But here we are. Um, but I will say, despite like the football hype... I've still been not only painting custodies, but playing custodies. So I thought it might be a great time to just go ahead and talk about them now that I know a little bit about the faction and have actually got to play them on the tabletop as opposed to just like listening to a couple of books about them, reading the codex, and uh, you know, painting almost a thousand points in a week. But first, hobby time and games played. All right, John, hobby time. What you been up to? Uh, I have been up to reading and taking notes for the Genius of the Cold episode that has going to come after this one. Yeah, I don't envy you. That Custodies, like, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of stuff in there, but it's not difficult. Like, they don't interconnect and weave in weird ways. You got a much harder job. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
We'll talk about that more in the next episode when we talk about Gene Slater Cult specifically. There's a lot there. But I've also been like getting a lot of Gene Slater Cult together, painting a lot. Um, still been working on a piece of chaos for Joe Hammercon, especially now that the new Wide Door stuff came out, and I found Ooh. out that they all got more rent. Uh, Big buff. Huge buff. Everything way better now. <laughs> now, Beast might be a mid-tier faction. Woo! Um, very good. Very good. Um, very exciting. I've also been trying my hand at printing Battletech models, but like larger ones, like 75 millimeter scale, mm-hmm. which has been turning out very good. I'm going to be painting those just to have them. And then I've printed out some stuff from Loot Studios, uh, like their sci-fi bundle stuff, mostly because I want to try my hand at making more, like, pieces to put on a shelf, not play game with models. Mm -hmm. Stuff that is just fun, I can play with paint-wise, and see how I do. Uh, Trying to diversify what I'm painting, so it's not just all for the purpose of playing, to keep me, like, motivated and engaged. Mm Mm-hmm. What about you? Oh, uh, I have uh, similarly uh, been working on Joe Hammercon stuff. Uh, with that coming up in about a month, I did not want to get caught totally unaware. Um, so I've been working on getting my Sky Dwarves ready to go for the weekend. Uh, I've got ten, all 10 Arcanauts for the list uh, ready to go and finalized now. I decided to try Streaking Grime on them. Shocking. Streaking Grime looks great. Uh, got an Endron Master hero, uh, washed up and ready to go. I'll post those pictures to Instagram. Uh, and now I'm prepping to get, uh, the 10 Thunderers, the six Balloon Boys, uh, washed and ready as well before having to finish up one small ship and then paint a frigate and an ironclad from scratch. So, uh, there's going to be a lot of dwarves in my future. <laughs> Yeah, ton of dwarves. Uh, and we got to try to keep ahead of this curve before that Total Warhammer 3 comes out. Ayo. Hey, uh, yeah, because my hobby time, it's going to take a hit. <laughs> yeah. Total War Warhammer 3 drops this week. Yeah, it's it's some of our favorite times. We're probably going to play lots of co-op games. I might even pick up a camera and try to stream some of it. Who knows? Ooh, that'd be fun. It'd be a lot of fun. Uh... If you're interested, let me know. But that's not the topic of today's episode. The topic of today's episode is them golden janitor boys. Those space mop heads of the future. How dare you? Uh, I also played them janitor boys, speaking of them. uh, That was part of my games played. um, And I'll talk about that more in the episode. But uh, Lucas came over and uh, he brought his Necrons to try to contend with my thousand points of custodies. Uh... And uh, the Custodies ended up pulling it home, as they have to, because we're talking about them on this episode. They had home field advantage. Um, However, it was closer than I would have anticipated. Uh, If maybe, like, two or three decisions hadn't have been made the way they were, uh, I think Lucas might have had me. Uh, That Necron shooting with all them buffs was pretty impressive. Holy cow. Um... Yeah, so I got to play Custodes on the table, which I really wanted to do before this episode, so I can, you know, take all my thoughts and kind of test them a little bit before I came out here and just spouted a bunch of nonsense to people. Um, And then lastly, I painted my hobby room. 
Uh, when we moved oh. into the house, uh, I got a room for hobbying, like all to myself. I got my computer in here, painting desk, all my painting supplies, a little closet, hold all my models and stuff. Uh, and I really wanted to like change it from the pure white that it was to make it feel a little more fun. And uh, this week, finally went out and got the paint and just did it. Did the damn thing. And uh, painted all four walls and used that as an opportunity to also sort of rearrange some of my hobby stuff. Um, and I'm going to count that as hobby progress. I'm going to count it. I mean, it's in your hobby room. I it would. is in the hobby room. And it getting the paint up was the first step before I could get furniture in. Uh, because I need like a display case. I need a bookshelf. Uh, I need like floating shelves and racks and stuff to be able to put things on the walls and art and whatnot. So this, everything else I wanted to do was kind of bottlenecked by the paint. So uh, now that that's out of the way, more hobby room improvements on the way. But John, I, I, I've held it back as long as I could. I, I, I have to have the music play so I can talk about Golden Boys. We must yeah. obey the music. I have thoughts, John. I've got big thoughts. That's surprising from a custodian player. <laughs> Seth, play the music! <laughs> Alright, you Xeno scum. How dare you? Yeah. <laughs> so, custodies, right? If we're going to have an episode about them, we kind of want to take it at a couple of steps. Um, when we talked about other factions before, we found that Generally speaking, we like to have three sections to break these things down. And the first is to talk about the lore, because let's be honest, it's kind of the thing we like the most. Uh, and then two, talk about uh, the force on the tabletop, for those of you out there who are more mechanically minded, so you know how they actually play, and some ideas on uh, sort of how they work. And then three, we're going to break it down into a section on how we think, uh, if you like are really interested in the faction, how we think you should get started with it. Um, but I say all that to say this. Uh, these book, this book is very new at the time of recording. It has been out for a couple of weeks. And with that being the case, some of this stuff may change over time. Uh, some of the things we put here. But I think it's going to be a great touch point. Um, because, like, we're not going to be digging down into tournament lists, which are going to evolve and whatnot. Uh, I think the general touchstones of the faction will stay the same. But, you know, new product will come out later. You might have different ways to get into the hobby. But we're going to do our try our best to make this evergreen. Uh, but with this being the first time we've talked about, like, brand new books, felt a disclaimer it's probably good to keep us safe. Yeah, I would agree. Um, so the Custodies. Who the hell are they, other than, like, being big golden dudes? And to understand the Custodians, you have to first understand the concept of the Emperor. And if you are, if you're out there listening and you're not a 40k player, you, you still might know who he is. Uh, but just to be safe, uh, in the world of 40k, the Imperium of Man, which is the sort of collective human government, is ran by one being, one entity. The, well, supposedly, that's debatable, but is centered around one incredibly powerful being, the Emperor of Mankind. He is this, like, 14-foot-tall pseudo-god, maybe actual god, 
uh, that led humanity into the stars to conquer the galaxy uh, and sort of evolve rapidly as a species. Um, and to do this, he ended up creating soldiers. Uh, soldiers that were far better than what humans could hope to accomplish in their lifetime. Uh, he made the Thunder Warriors, which were unstable, so he killed them. Uh, and then he made the Space Marines. I actually think the order was around the air. Uh, but the Space Marines were fallible. But the super soldier to his super soldiers, the thing that makes space, the thing that makes Space Marines seem human almost, are the most elite unit in the Imperium, the Adeptus Custodes. Um, these are warriors that are peerless in terms of not only martial prowess, but also intelligence and uh, political acumen and art and poetry. Um, they are a race of warriors that are, uh, I would say, taken from, in the most literal sense, uh, from families on Terra who offer their newborns to the palace to hopefully make a custody. However, making a custody is terribly difficult, and there's a pretty rough death rate. Which, you know, John, there's the grimdark. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a rough death rate for everything in Warhammer. It's kind of keynote in the series. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a lot of death no matter what you do. Yeah, um, like... All echelons of existence in the 40k universe is death, 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 death. Just wearing the grimdark right on her sleeve. However, for those that do make it, rather than, you know, the like 99% that die, they end up being implanted with all sorts of incredible arcane genetic alchemy uh, that is like pseudo magic, but also technology. Uh, much of which is so old that no one really knows how it works anymore. They're just following instructions and hoping it goes well. And in the end, you end up with this 10-foot-tall superhuman. Uh, I'm just picturing a geneticist getting like a HelloFresh kit with the recipe for a custody. <laughs> <laughs> trying to, <laughs> trying to make a custody, and just like I don't know, how this works. I've never cooked anything before. And it's like how to make a beef Wellington. He's just like I fucking don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> You're not wrong, but in this uh, case, when you get to the end, you don't just have like uncooked dough around the beef Wellington. You've slaughtered hundreds of infants. You know, oh God, no it's pressure. So dark. It's so bad. This is the worst HelloFresh. Oh, uh, it's the darkest timeline of HelloFresh. I hate this <laughs> How goodbye do we rotten. Make us toadies? Goodbye rotten is the worst. Um Yeah, so assuming that you could follow instructions, you get a custodian sometimes. Uh and these guys are trained to be the Emperor's equal. Um pretty much everything else in the Emperor's arsenal were tools, uh, but his custodians were sort of his confidants. Uh, in every way that he could make them so, he tried to make them his equal. So they aren't just warriors. Uh, they learn everything they can to try to act as his advisors. Uh, they learn art. They learn poetry. 
They learn philosophy. They become masters of all of those things. Uh, they learn politics and geopolitical progressions. And they learn geography uh, and essentially memorize the political schema for the entire galaxy everywhere uh, so that they can know what's happening at every place at all times, or at least anticipate it. And then, of course, on top of that, they are also incredible warriors who do not slouch there in any way, shape, or form. Um, in a, one of the books, um, they were describing like a custodian dueling with three space Marines and the way they described it, it was sort of like an adult play fighting with children. Uh, you know, just kind of like parrying all their attacks and doing light little counters, uh, because the custodians are incredibly terrifying. If you do get into melee range, uh, they weigh probably in uh, their incredible armor, Probably about as much as a Mack truck without a trailer. And they can sprint at what I'm going to guess is like 30 miles an hour. Maybe faster. Uh, and the reaction times are sub-microsecond. It's, it's asinine. It's just asinine. Everything about them is insane. And they are given the best armor and the best weapons that they can possibly have. And that's because, really, they have the most important job in the Imperium. And that is to protect the Emperor. And that is their only job. Um, I th and I want to ram this point home for the narrative, because in a lot of factions, they do a lot of things. You know what I mean? Uh, they have multiple aspects and facets to themselves or their motivation. Uh, you might have uh, inter-space marine rivalries between captains... Some of them might be trying to recover like incredible relics and some of them uh, might be more jockeying for a position to lead the chapter. Uh, some of the guys on, on the underside of the Space Marine uh, chart of order and rank, they might just be trying to survive. Here, though, there is no multifacetedness. Everybody only has one job, and it's to protect the Emperor and the palace that he's within. Because none of these people were ever human. Like, John, it's a little eerie, but, like, these are essentially aliens. Yeah, I mean, they touch on it in some of the Siege of Terra books, I think, or um, some of the Horse Heresy books as well, where, like, the custodies have a hard time even understanding the emotions that space marines have for each other and the primarchs have and how any of this makes sense to them. That's why they're such good friends on, honestly with the sisters of silence generally mm -hmm. is because they're, they're very similar in that regard where they, they're kind of like we are outcasts among outcasts. And what, what do we do about this? Like, it is it's always interesting to watch these characters interact with other characters in the setting because they often, uh, you can get a sense of jealousy from the custodies often. Um, that's the one thing they can't do, mm -hmm. right? They can they can fight anything. They can they literally defend the God Emperor, like they they do anything physical possible, and logically can accomplish anything. But when it comes to emotions, they're just not good at it because they don't have any of it. It's like they killed all of it to be good at the other things. And you can still, like, get a sense of jealousy that they have of, like, oh, man, I wish I could, like, feel something about the CC's pizza. But they can't. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
It's actually a, a really fun interaction in my favorite custodies book as someone is trying to goad a custodian, you know, like poke him and prod him and insult him. And uh, I think the quote from the woman is, he was infuriatingly inflappable because like none of those things matter to them. You can't make them mad. They, they don't, they don't have that. Um, and like, well, space Marines are kind of these like crazy murderous space monks that also aren't human. At least at one point they all were, you know, there was some time in all of their lives where every space Marine was a person. They were probably a boy or maybe young man, depending. Um, but at least they had some time where they were a human being and they can use that to relate. The custodies were never human. And with that, they're only bound, their entire fiction is bound upon their task, their incredible service to the emperor of mankind. That is it. Their entire existence and all greatness they will ever achieve only exists within the context of that goal. Outside of it, I don't think they could function. And that's, that dedication is what makes them so compelling. It's so interesting. Uh, in the horse heresy, no job was too big. No ask was too sacrificing. Uh, whatever was needed, they would do it because the job needed to be done. And they also held the most secrets. They like, did. Yeah. You, they held out like they, and they even had secrets against them. Like I think when uh, you finally learn more about Alpharius, you find out like Alpharius was actually the first Primarch that was found, but he was hidden on Terra for his entire childhood and race had to like be a person and first, and then they didn't think they'd find any other Primarchs. They're trying to keep Alpharius hidden from everyone. And the custodians eventually find him and know who he is and then go, Oh, okay. We're not going to tell anyone about this for decades. Just going to leave it. It's no. fine. If the emperor wants them to keep a secret, they will, they just will for eternity. Yeah, they just won't say it. Never. Um, their loyalty is absolute, uh, which makes the fall of the emperor all the more tragic, uh, because the custodies showed up every time they did the work every time they worked the hardest every time it was needed and it still wasn't enough. Uh, the emperor fell Horus, the arch traitor who kicked off all of the bad, bad. Uh, in, like, the climactic battle of the Horus Heresy, as we all know, uh, struck the Emperor down and essentially killed him. Which is the biggest shame for the Custodians. Because, as I mentioned, their entire existence only works around one goal. Beyond it, they are nothing. They don't exist outside of the box. And they failed at their only task. Um, they managed to at least get the emperor back and inter him on that golden throne thing, which keeps him in this terrible half-life state. Uh, but then they did not go beyond the palace for 10,000 years. Uh, because they felt so much shame for having failed the emperor, they just pulled everyone back to the Imperium. Uh, they pulled everyone back to the home world, except for a few exceptions we'll get to, um, and they sort of rallied around the Emperor. Because if 
They failed before. They have to go all in on it again, lest he's gone permanently. Um, and for those 10,000 years, they were the only people allowed in his throne room, where they had 50 custodians fully on guard, fully prepared for combat, in battle stance, without sleeping, for decades at a time. Um, like, on that knife's edge, in case some terrible thing would tear through reality and try to kill the Emperor, they would all jump on it at once. Um, and they kind of pulled them out of the setting, and it's why you didn't see them as a faction in uh, 40k, uh, before 8th edition. Like, in 1st through 7th edition, you couldn't play Custodes faction in 40k because they didn't leave the palace. At least, that's what we thought. Um, you know, they stayed inside as these uh, terrible guardians on the wall. And we thought that was it. Uh, until there was a, a recent lore event in a book called The Emperor's Legion, which I highly recommend. The audiobook in particular is 10 out of 10. Um, where the custodies were forced to come out. Rebute Gilliman, a Primarch, was found. A son of the Emperor was back. Uh, and they had to take him to his father and let someone inside for the first time in 10,000 years. Uh, and afterwards, uh, Chaos attacked the throne world itself. Uh, they assailed the walls with an incredible army of demons. And... With Rebute Gilliman there, Gilliman beseeched them to leave their walls and take to the field uh, for the first time in 10,000 years. And they did. They threw off their black robes of shame, they grabbed their red robes of war, and strode to the field in golden Aramite splendor, all together, fighting a war rather than a battle uh, against a terrifying corn force and this wonderful moment uh that was really bloody and they actually lost a lot of custodians but it was a revelation uh as gilliman fought beside them he realized how incredibly powerful they are and what a waste it is to have them at the palace just like, chilling out being sad right like y'all I, like i know you got a you had a bad breakup and that sucks man and like you you Totally have some time eating Tostitos pizza rolls and binge watching Criminal Minds, but like it's been three months, my guy. Listen, I understand breaking up was easier in the 90s, but like you just gotta hop, hop, hop back on my horse and listen to like I don't know, two dozen roses or something, right off into the sunset of your motorcycle. Go find a new purpose. Look, I need you to get in the shower, wash your ass, listen to Kiss by Rose, cry a little <laughs> bit, and then get out there, okay? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> It's been Take off that long. black robe. Tell him put on that red robe. Let's, <laughs> let's hit up this club. <laughs> Go to the bar. Come on. Um, we're going to do karaoke tonight <laughs> is what we're doing. Come on, Trajan Valoris. <laughs> I don't know any songs. Ah, I'll play Journey. Everybody knows Journey. You'll be all right. <laughs> You'll get there. It's okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was this incredible moment. You actually see it in that book, The Emperor's Legion. It's beautiful. It's tragic. It's, you know, potential locked up for that long. And the wonder of it being unleashed uh, is incredible. Uh, and that was the event that then propelled them into 8th edition. They got a codex, uh, which kind of like just introduced them into the lore again. 
they got a bunch of plastic new models. Uh, and then they were sent out into the galaxy and the strike forces of like 50 guys at a time to go handle problems. However, y'all, this new codex, my God, it, it says mo a lot more than the first codex. Cause the first codex really focused a whole lot on reintroducing them and hitting all the big notes because you got to Like you got to lay your foundation first before you get into the details. And that was cool. That was very cool. Uh, no complaints. Uh, but they dropped the new codex, and I read it. And it turns out we were wrong. <laughs> uh, they did not just sit on the palace for 10,000 years. Uh, this is actually space CIA. These are just like power lifter CIA agents. And I entirely underestimated the extent of which they were protecting the emperor in the throne world um the new book talks about you know what they've been doing in that in that big time uh, and it turns out the answer was spying on everyone and killing problems before they even became problems uh john did you know that they have listening bots and agents disguised and hidden in every like almost within every square mile of the home world itself to listen to every word of spoken conversation that they could find on the planet. Yeah. So like, no, I didn't know that, but also it is fascinating to me that the, they went custodians aren't just the better space Marines. They're the better inquisition. Oh yeah. Oh, we're going to get there too. <laughs> uh, John, did you know that they track every single ship that enters, leaves, or moves in the soul system? And I mean all of them. Like, crew manifests and all. I mean, that makes sense. Like, that, that one isn't too shocking. Like, that one... I can yeah. see that. Yeah. Uh, did you know they have spies in every single Space Marine chapter? That seems a bit much. <laughs> it, I, there's I a lot of space marine chapters like there's there's an astronomical shitload of space marine chapters but that also brings me like how long have they had a, a spy in every space marine chapter uh it doesn't say it just says that they these are the tools they use so like because like a while probably what happened to the dude who's with the astral claws oh good question like, what? That guy, like, sat there and watched the Astral Claws over the course of, like, a couple hundred years slowly fall to chaos because they just didn't get enough, like, materials because of the logistics supply chain issues. Like, <laughs> the Astral Claws <laughs> fell to the Red Corsairs and her, her on Blackheart becomes, like, the pirate king of chaos. And this one is just like, oh, man, this shit sucks. Oh, can't do nothing, though. <laughs> like, <laughs> can't help. Sorry. We know about it. Um... Yeah, I mean, he the spy probably gave his report before he was beheaded by some crazy freaking chaos space marine. I mean, um, what's more likely is the Ministorum just uh, went, uh, we don't give a fuck. Fuck him. And so he's like, yeah, all right, your yeah. call. Fuck it. We're yeah. going to say fuck him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they also have spies in all of the arms of the Imperium. So, like, they have spies and robots in the Inquisition uh, obviously, all arms of the Inquisition in the uh, Temple Assassinorum, in the High Council's chambers, like they have their eyes and ears everywhere, uh, because they have jobs they want to do, and they want to make sure no one can possibly get in their way about doing them. Uh, so what they've been doing in all of this time is gathering information 
and then using all of that information to get a bored state of the Empyrean, and then to think through infinite, infinite uh, situations that seem likely to happen, uh, and how they could affect one another, sort of playing this like game of mental hypothetical dominoes, uh, to find where problems are going to happen like seven steps out. Uh, so, for example, if there was an election on a planet where a despot was elected to this small council somewhere, they might recognize that if that person did enough lobbying, he could make it to like a high uh, uh, planetorial council. And then from there could make it to Regency. And then from there could be bribed by uh, gene stealer cults. And from there could lose the entire planet to a gene stealer cult uprising which could then bring the Tyranids, which could then threaten the home world. And if they saw all of that was a potential outcome, they just go out and they'd send three dudes to murder that guy and his entire fortress. And then just come back with no one knowing what happened. Guy's just gone. He's like, oh man, this dude sucks. Oh, send, send Carl, Steve, and uh, Dennis. <laughs> yeah. They'd send out these little strike forces to just accomplish the, the, the work. And while using their eyes and the other groups to make sure that no one else is going to step in and try to use bureaucracy to stop them. Because really, they're no different than they were 10,000 years ago. Their goal is single. Uh, and they are certainly not going to let an imperium that has become more and more religious and bureaucratic... Stop them from doing their job. Because the job needs to be done. And I... God, I love that about them. Well, that's also, like, the fascinating thing about the custodians, right? Is, like, they they never... To my knowledge, they don't view the emperor as a god. They view the emperor as a very powerful human being. Yeah, uh, they actually know he's not a god. Which is another bit of friction in the lore. Uh, And so you have all these, like, religious fanatical cultists going, Ah, yes, the emperor, the savior of humanity, god, king of the universe. And they're just like, Y'all, we literally watch this man eat a Jorro's pizza. (laughs) (laughs) He is not what you think he is. But uh, we can't say that or else you're going (laughs) to kill yourselves or us. So we're going to just ease on past. Yep, exactly. Yeah, they know he's not a god. They have a more nuanced view of what he actually is. Because many of them are still alive from back then when they were his personal friends. Uh, There's no, like, hypotheticals about what he is. Like, they just remember. And he still gives them visions uh, that they sort of ruminate on to help guide them. And they sort of ponder what the visions he gives them might mean. Um, So they are still in vague ways in contact with it, which only makes the Imperium being what it is, uh, more tragic. But I mean, uh, they've, they've made some friends like, uh, I don't want to give any spoilers, but there's been some novels out there that show that the custodians make friends with members of the Inquisition. Mm hmm. Sure have. Uh, and also they have made some of the big players in the current 40 K world happen even though those big players might not know it. Uh, for example, one of the little lore excerpts uh, talks about a shield host, which is kind of like, think of a shield host, kind of like a space marine chapter, but much more fluid because the custodians aren't tied down to anything. They'll all do any job. But a shield host generally is just a group of custodies uh, 
who are very good at a particular skill. Uh, and this shield host was the Aquilan shield, which their job is to find uh, people who are important or could be important to the Imperium, uh, both through like psychic readings and also through like the tarot cards and, you know, looking at uh, political events and steps that could happen and then keeping those people alive. And uh, one of them was a young boy on Terra who was an absolute firebrand, uh, advocating in the Emperor's name at all times, even when it was not advantageous for him to do so, uh, and was dangerous for him to do so. Uh, this boy was hellbricked. And someone was assigned, a golden custodian was assigned to protect him. Because the tarot said he could be important to the Imperium one day. And so there was a custodian that followed him every moment of every day for his entire life. In the shadows, without being seen, just disappearing anyone who tried to harm him. Um, until, obviously, he was recruited by the Space Raid chapters and then they saw that their watch was done and they let him be. Um... But no one knew that they were doing that. <laughs> like, Helbrecht wouldn't have happened without them. Uh, and I, I love that little connection. It's so delicious. Um, yeah, you're welcome, Black Templars players. You are welcome for the custodian service. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that conversation would go very well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no problems at all. Um, yeah, and. For me, I think my favorite shield host is probably the Shadow Keepers. Uh, the Shadow Keepers are custodies that don't wear, like, shining, resplendent gold from head to toe. Uh, they're a shield host of brothers who instead man the Black Vaults beneath the uh, Imperial Palace. And underneath the Imperial Palace are this cavernous, subterranean world with colossal containment structures... Uh, that span lightning arcs all over it with force fields and these dark anti-psyker cells that are filled with the most horrible abominations that the Imperium has come across. Uh, things that they do not know how to kill, in most cases, that they've tried and just they, they have no idea what to do with it, so they lock it up. Uh, if any of y'all out there are familiar with SCP, like Secure uh, contain protect this is 40k scp <laughs> where the worst and the weirdest are locked away uh, and the shadow keepers are custodians who are dedicated to guarding these vaults because these incredibly unflappable superhumans are the only things that can be down there anything else is subject to uh not just like being murdered by them but also being coerced and psychically manipulated uh, and turned against, uh, you know, the Imperium to let them out. So they only send down custodians because they cannot be manipulated in that way. Um, and the Shadow Keepers sometimes take to the field if something in the vaults turns up missing. And then they will rampage across the galaxy trying to track this thing down to drag it back to the vault and throw it within. Uh, that's just the coolest thing ever. Like, 
I love SCPs. They're great. They're creepy. Yeah. They're fun. They're spooky. Uh, but now, like, hey, Joe, do you like 10-foot-tall demigods with your SCPs? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I kind of do, 40K. Like, All right, that's cool. Uh, do you also like spears? Like, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, I do. Like, okay, you, you can have that. You do love spears. Like, for us, our listeners out there who don't know Joe, uh, he loves spears more than, like, anyone else I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird thing to love, but I do. We, I, we LARP together for about five years, six years, and the entire time he was just like, uh, do I have the option to use a spear? Use a spear. <laughs> it got to the point where he had to stop using spears because he was so good with spears. Other people got mad that he was so good with spears. <sighs> God, I love spears. Uh, and John, then they gave me that with my SCPs. And then they went. <laughs> they gave me the SCP with the spears. And then, John, and then. And then they went, hey, Joe. Do you want a machine gun on your spear? And you my fucking God. Yes, I do. Yes, I you do. fucking died. Like, you died and went straight to hell. You were like, absolutely. <laughs> I would do. like nothing more. I would go straight to hell with my spear machine gun. Please and thank you. Yes. Um, it's just, it's so fun. It's so deliciously fun. Uh, and in 40K, where, like, half the grimdark is this, like, grinding bureaucracy where nothing ever gets done. The custodies are this incredible breath of fresh air for me where they're just about doing the job. And for someone like me, who, like, one of my personality traits is, you know, I like to get jobs done. It aligns. You know, sometimes, like, the the rules of the protocol don't really matter. You just need to do the damn thing. Uh, and the custodies are a fun breath of that in a world where I never thought I'd get it. Because uh, they are sort of, like, counter to some of the themes. While also being equally flawed and dark, because, you know, when you're only focused on a job and you have no emotions, sometimes that means that people are really expendable. Yee! Yikes. 40k! Uh, yeah. It's, it's a great time. But, now that I've kind of, like, sussed out their lore, uh, let's move into the tabletop realm. So, mechanically speaking, how do the custodies play on the tabletop? And to be honest, they're a great representation of their lore. Um, so as I mentioned, like they, they very rarely send many people out to the field because one of them can do the job of tons of guys. And similarly, on the tabletop, it is a super elite army. Hyper elite, I would say. I think the only thing more elite than them is like Imperial Knights. Uh, because on a Custodes Force, you're bringing almost nothing to the field. Uh, just for reference, uh, I brought roughly 500 points of orcs to a battlefield, and I brought 27 models when I did that. Recently, I brought double that points-wise. I brought 1,000 points of custodies. Had 13 models total? Maybe less. Jesus. I had six guard, one blade master. A Dreadnought, and a Shield Captain, maybe, oh, and then three Terminators, 12 models, yeah, for a thousand points. Uh, so, you are rocking very few models, but each of them is a beast. Uh, their stat lines across the board, even for their basic troops, are equivalent to hero models from other factions. So, they all hit on twos. They're all like strength five. They're all toughness five. Their armor is two plus. 
they are rocking the best of the best stat lines that you can have. And even like their basic troops are walking around with three wounds. Um, so your handful of models go really, really far to represent just how elite the custodies are in the lore. Uh, and like I had two heroes clean up an entire flank of Necrons, just two guys, two V like 25 ing uh, and it went deliciously. So like, and don't be nervous if you hear they only have a handful of models. Uh, those models really pull their weight. Um, and as you would imagine, when you have so few models, uh, they're also really objective focused, which I think is a fun little meta thing because they are always have their eyes on the prize. Uh, but you really want to like play the objective with your handful of models. Cause if you get custodies on an objective, they all have objective secured. They all have this two up armor save. They all have toughness five and they all have these like terrifying machine gun spears or sometimes more dangerous weapons. And you just get to look at your opponent and say, move me. I dare you. And that's a fun time, John. It is a fun time. And I think it's also a great balancing tool for what they are. Like, mm-hmm. How so? if they were, if they were like these indomitable monsters in the lore and indomitable monsters on the tabletop, they're just hard to kill, great at melee, great shooting, and then could just hold objectives willy nilly, not be a problem. They'd be a terror on the battlefield. But fortunately, their low volume of units and the ability to just make them have to pick and choose between certain objectives or more importantly, picking between doing primary or secondary objectives or preventing you from your primary or secondary objectives means that Mm -hmm. they're a much more engaging force to play with. Yeah. You definitely have to uh, come in with a plan when playing custodies. Uh, When I played against Lucas, I had like my coverage for the table was pitiful. Like, there, we were playing a, a mission with four objectives, and there were like two in the middle, on the midline of the table, opposite of one another, and one in my deployment zone. And there was, if assuming I only put one model apiece on each objective, that's half my models gone. <laughs> like, <laughs> you have to come in with a plan, uh, and that that plan is probably going to begin on the objectives, and then Red Rover, Red Rover, I call your captain over, and then you murder them. Because they also, like, their shooting is decent, but they don't have much of it. Like, they're very few shots. They they don't really have, like, long-range shooting units. Really, they do the business up close on the objective. Uh, and they're terrifying there. But if you're looking for a shooting army, you might be a little disappointed. Uh, however, like, the stat lines and stuff are good. Uh, and certainly their melee profiles are very good. No complaints. However... Uh, I think the army, if you just left it there, would fall apart because you're just going to like drown them in uh, shots and they're going to fall over. But I think really what makes them incredible and uh, sets them aside is two things. One, they're martial katas and two, they're reactionary stratagems. Uh, both of these things can really change the game if you're clever. So martial katas are sort of like these stances 
that the custodies can take in fighting styles. Cause like, you know, like Batman, they've mastered all of the martial arts. Um, and depending on the situation, they can all change their fighting style, uh, mid battle, uh, in it as a collective unit, depending on what's needed. And pre-game, what that means for you as a general playing the game is you get to pick three of these fighting styles and uh, pick them in an order after like turns have been decided and whatnot. And you then, at the start of a turn, go into uh, one of your... You go into your first martial kata, which has two options for bonuses. Army wide. You pick a bonus. You go on. Second turn, you can pick your second bonus, or you can move on to the next card. And if you use those cleverly, oh man, you could really kind of hamper your opponent's plans at a time when they really don't want them hampered. Uh, so for example, I was playing my buddy Lucas, and he was trying to swarm my custodies with his big blobs of warriors and his scarabs. However, one of the martial katas says you only get to pile in one inch. And when you're playing a horde, piling in one inch, oh my, uh, it made it so all of his attacks were just inefficient. Because he couldn't get guys in combat to, you know, do the business, which meant I got to stay on the objective. And that meant I kept the objective and won because of this one guy who just refused to go down. Uh, I feel like that's very that's very in flavor for custodies. Oh, it is. Yeah, it feels you know like the last stand. Like playing custodies is like watching the movie Three Hundred. Um, you are just up against insurmountable odds, and it does not matter. Fight on. <laughs> and also, they have a bunch of stratagems that are really powerful, but most of them are reactionary. Um, you know, some factions, they have a lot of stratagems that they blow up front to do uh, really powerful abilities, like before an attack or whatever. A vast majority of the custodies rea uh, stratagems are reaction. So your opponent goes to do something, and you get to respond where you feel is appropriate to execute your plan. And some of these, if used correctly, can be incredible. Um, arcane genetic alchemy, which is transhuman. No matter how tough their uh, weapon strength is, can't wound you on better than a four because you're just incredibly durable. Yeah. So, you know, all of your guys are heavily armored. If they do target you with an anti-armor shot, congratulations. I have neutered your anti-armor shot. Or, all right, they bring in their heavy melee fighters with, these, with their biggest, choppiest weapons, and they're going to charge you. All right, Tanglefoot Grenade. I make your charge harder because I throw this grenade of goop at your feet. Well, well now you made you fail your charge. Ha ha. I get to stay on the oh, objective. Oh no, you gooped my feet. <laughs> <laughs> no, you gooped on my feet. Uh, yeah, it makes uh -oh. their charge 1d6 less, which can be game changing. Uh, or the ability, if you're on an objective, to interrupt combat. With one CP rather than two lets your command points go further and means you are always dangerous on the objective and combat selection. Um, or the ability to spend a command point to make a unit heroically intervene to, like, countercharge an opponent. Holy cow. Um, 
That's incredible. It's just, it's all good stuff. But it's not front-loaded power. You have to look for opportunities to use it, and you have to use it correctly at the right times, uh, which makes it really rewarding when it does go well for you. At least, it did for me. Um, yeah, they were a blast to play on the table. Uh, it is great to not have to move around like a bajillion models. Your movement phase is so fast. So, so terribly fast when you only push uh, 12 guys up the board. Um, but there is some mental load with trying to remember all the stratagems and whatnot. Because there's just a lot going on there, man. Which, I spoiler alert, it's going to be a reoccurring theme when we talk about Gene Stealer cults. <laughs> Probably more so there. Yeah... Yeah, we'll, we'll discuss that next time. Holy God. Um, this is, it's going to be deep. Yeah, it's it's super fun. And if you agree, if you are the type of person who thinks this sounds great, like if you just, if you loved, if you love the idea of like a handful of guys going shoulder to shoulder uh, to take on an army, and you're like, man, the custodians seem really cool. Like, but uh, how hard is it to get into them? Well, I got you covered, because the answer is, not that hard. Um, holy cow. Be because there are so few models you need, you really don't have to spend a ton to get into this force compared to other 40k armies. Uh, when a full army is maybe 20 models, uh, the ceiling for entry can, well, the barrier for entry can be pretty low. Uh, depending on what you're going to get into, because there's a giant Forge World-shaped exception, which we'll have to talk about. Uh, but generally speaking, if you're trying to get like a thousand points of custodies together, uh, I would highly recommend you buy the Combat Patrol box that is about to come out soon. Uh, and this box is incredible value. Uh, inside of it, you're going to get, let's see, to give you a full squad of three custodians on flying motorcycles, uh, a squad of custodian guard, which is like the basic foot troops, a squad of sisters of silence. Oh, I forgot to mention the sisters of silence. I'll cycle back to those. Um, and that, my God, that is almost an army. Uh, the bikes are hyper elite. So are the custodian guard, you can make, uh, some of those guys characters also, uh, and sisters of silence are a great little tech piece. Um, I guess very quickly for the lore people, the Sister of Silence are a bunch of uh, women who are nulls, not blanks, nulls, uh, a person without a soul. And they are like repulsive to be around for most people. Uh, but for the custodies, they sort of seek them out. Because if you have someone who has no soul, it means they interact with the warp in a very different way. And with some training, they can use it to take out warp entities and just strip their power from them. Um, which for custodies who have no psychers anywhere in the army is a wonderful tech piece in the lore and on the tabletop. Uh, it makes sure that they can get their full physical might to affect things that normally would just be terrifying to try to get through and kill. So you get a little bit of anti-psyker. So that box gives you a little bit of everything. And like, obviously points change. But in that box, if you put like, well, you're going to need one more box of custodian guard. But if you put all of that on a points thing, 
you're you're probably looking at like 700 800 points right there just out of the box um and if you combine that with a box of standalone custodian guard which is just like the five foot troops again you are over a thousand points congratulations like you you've made it uh you could have two squads three custodian guard uh a cap a shield captain of your choice uh a guy holding a banner to buff your units a squad of 10 sisters uh and a unit of flying motorcycle custodies with rocket launchers on those bikes um and you're like rocking and rolling it at almost a thousand points and that's with two boxes two boxes uh, however, while normally they're pretty easy to get into, uh, there is a potentially unfortunate exception depending on your inclinations. Uh, I would say a full half of this force's options are from Forge World. And normally, I just advise people to ignore Forge World like it doesn't exist. But this is probably the one faction where that might be difficult to do. Yeah, it is kind of about half their unit options. Yeah, yeah. There's not a lot of unit options uh, in plastic. Uh, so you don't really have much choice but to get some of the Forge World stuff because some of that's your bread and butter. In particular, the Forge World Dreadnoughts, very good and fill an incredible niche role in your army that the plastic kits do not have of like a tanky anti-armor thing. Um. And I know that for a lot of people, Forge World can be a turnoff. I know it definitely is for me. That's why I don't buy from Forge World. Because um, it's just incredibly expensive for terrible resin. Uh, so just lose-lose. Uh, however, you know, if you're out there and you have 3D printer and you don't mind 3D printing like proxy models, uh, there are proxy models out there for said Forge World things that if you're playing with your buds and y'all are all cool with it, you know, you do you. It could help you. But overall, it is, it's a really easy force to get into if you like them. Uh, and for a hobby, they're detailed models, but you don't have to paint many of them, which helps immensely. Uh, so you're not going to be hammering them out for too long. I mean, as I said, I painted... Uh, a thousand points of custodies in if I didn't have a family emergency thing happen uh, what would have been a week for a thousand points and I am not a fast painter very slow so that should kind of anchor you for what you could maybe expect if you're trying to paint them yeah custodies is an easy force to just pick up especially as like a second force um, I have a hard time suggesting them as like a beginner force right yeah but- just playing an elite army that way could be hard. But if you if that's your preferred style, right? If like that's what you kind of like is less models get really specialized and you're you're cool with like having a high learning curve, they could be a very easy army to get into if you're new because of the lack of needing to paint a thousand things. Like you can just paint stuff up in a couple of sessions and be good. Yep, and you're on the table fully painted, rock rolled, ready to go. Um, which as we've talked about before is something that we really should consider when get considering a force. Um, that paint load can be daunting and depending on, you know, your preference and how much you like painting and how much you do paint, it could be crushing for like a giant horde army. 
but in this case, actually comes in real low on the uh, paint difficulty scale. I mean, with uh, a uh, with some gold, a dry brush, and a wash, I mean, you've done like 90% of the model if you're doing the traditional color scheme. Uh, and like, obviously, for those of you who do keep up with the tournament scene, Cassidy's doing pretty well in tournaments. Um, I don't think that it's just because of the rules and that they're easy and quick to paint. I think it's also a significant portion of it is that there's so few models, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're going to a tournament, you don't have to worry about lugging around a bunch of stuff or moving a bunch of stuff. You just got a handful of stuff to put on the table, move around, pack up, put it down, everything else to every game cuts down on how much you have to worry about or set up for the game. And that trend that transfers to like playing with your buds. If you are traveling, like I often do to play Warhammer, sometimes it can be a little taxing, a little, little aggravating. Be like, okay, I got to pull these 200 models out. I got to put them in the little case. I got to put them in my car. I got to worry about those 200 models getting messed up on the way there. Um, got to then pull them out, pull them all out, set them up on a table, deploy them at every game. Like that's, it's quite a bit. Now, I'm a madman who loves horde armies, so ideal. Not everyone can, and if that's something you struggle with and it's making you have a hard time engaging with the hobby, uh, maybe look at Custodes. Like it'll really help cut down on a lot of that like finagling. Yeah, it's much easier to go. Hey, here is my single magnet tray with my twenty models. All right, let's play. Um, it's it's wonderful. It definitely makes it easy. Comparatively, I mean, I think it's the same reason why knights were so popular as a force. Um, also, because big robot, but yeah, yeah, bringing five models to a table just feels good sometimes. Yeah, you're ready to roll, especially in a tournament setting where you're timed. Like I, I could very much so seeing a lot of that being appealing to tournament players. Um, I don't know. For me, I think the most interesting thing is that the book, like. If I could have like a final note to try to sell somebody if you're on the fence, this is maybe the book with the most play packed into each page that I've seen out of the 40k codexes for this edition. I would argue with you about the Incident Cult, but continue. But, uh, John, we haven't done the Jeeds Dealer episode. I know. <laughs> uh, like, normally when you get a Warhammer book, this is Age of Sigmar, this is 40k, and you open it up and you go, man, they have these sub factions. Oh. There's the one that's playable. Oh, how did they write these? Oh, at least I got one that works. Like, they're generally, they struggle to make uh, multiple appealing sub-factions. If you have a decent luck, you might get two that both have some gas in the tank. Um, but here, my God, it's just all got gas. Just every, like... I think there are five shield hosts in the book and four of the five are incredible. All of which could be argued as being quote unquote the best, which is a and, sign of incredible design. And I think a lot of it is because the, the custodies from the ground up are built to have different avenues of play. Like you, like we'll use the new Tau book as an example, right? There's only a handful of really good sub factions in the new Tau book mm -hmm. uh, because the entire book is focused around the concept of maneuvering to shoot really good and shooting really good. Mm -hmm. And so the sub-factions that support either A, the mobility, or B, the shooting, are going to be the best. Any other weird thing or jank thing that comes out of it is a skew 
from the center core design of the book. Whereas custodies have to be decent at shooting. They have to be decent at fighting. They have to be decent at all of the phases of the game because they're an elite force. And they're built like that from the ground up to just kind of be good at everything besides psychics. Um, so all their sub-factions support that. And they each kind of focus in on a different one and then they have a katas to support it. Yeah. Which feels like a healthier book to engage with. Uh, as both an opponent and a player. Yeah, um, I honestly, if you asked me, like, Joe, which is the best one out of the book? I, I don't think I could give you an answer. Like, I, I think four of the five are incredibly viable. Uh, and I, I would entertain arguments for all of them uh, because they're just all going to be great. Uh, I don't think that this book, I think this book has lots of legs competitively, but it also has a ton of legs casually because you can play anything in the book with your buds yep. and not feel bad about it, right? Yep, can't go wrong. Um, whatever you think looks cool, it's probably decent. Go ahead. Put it on the yeah. table. Um, yeah. You don't have to worry about bringing three of it. Like, yeah. And like, also it doesn't just stop at, uh, the shield host, like the relics, the warlord traits, all of them are good. Like, of, uh, I guess I can't say all a vast majority of them are good and playable and appealing. Um, like, that was one of the things that hit me when I played with Lucas. I was like, oh, sorry, man. I forgot to pick my relic. Let me just pick that real fast. And then I opened the book. Oh, crap. I don't know which one to take. Like, yeah, you could not pick it real like, fast. These, there's so <laughs> many that are good. Like, I, hold on. I got to keep reading. Um, it, the book just has a lot of gas in the tank. And I think I'm going to be playing this force many times over a quite a while. And I'm not going to get bored for, I mean, the foreseeable future. Because there's just so many I, options and combinations that work and I can put on the table. I think it's a great weeknight force too. Like, if you have, if you struggle to find time to, time to play games on the weekends, and the only time you can play games is like on like a Tuesday night, and you got like three hours tops. Two hours, more likely. This is a great force to play on like a Tuesday night because it does not take a lot of time. Once you kind of get a handle on how the force works, it's very intuitive. Mm -hmm. And it's just... Easy for your opponent, easy for you. It's not a, a whole lot of density to it. Now, what we're going to talk about next episode of Jeans are called, I would not expect you to play that on Tuesday afternoon. Oh, uh, God, it's the opposite. They're, you perfect foils for one another. In order to learn how to play that book, you need to play practice games to even play casual games and to understand all your rules before you sit down to play anything that has some sort of time limit. Uh, yeah. Like that, it is a, it's a dense book. But it's exactly what you want out of that book. Yeah, I think uh, I'm glad we did Custodes first because, in a lot of ways, we could just say that Jade Steeler Cult are the opposite of Custodes in every way. Yes. You know, Custodes are hyper elite, Gene Steeler Cults are hyper horde. Uh, Custodes have incredibly high armor save. Oh, well, Gene Steeler Cults, most of their stuff is made of paper. Uh, Custodes have no psychic. Gene Steeler Cults, incredibly potent psychic face. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, Custodes, few attacks, very powerful. Gene Stealer Cult, horde of attacks, weak, but synergies to just cut you down anyway. Like, they just, you know, they're opposites of one another, and I think it's going to be fun to dovetail the, the episodes together. You know, one of them, fairly straightforward with a little bit of practice. The other, you almost need a PhD to figure it out. Just, mwah. In perfect balance. 
as all things should be. Uh, but if y'all are interested for that discussion, strap in for the next episode, because uh, don't y'all worry, it's coming. Uh, and John is going to hopefully get to play a game or two of these Gene Steeler cults before we record the episode. Uh, uh, maybe. I don't know if I'll be able to. Just hit a thousand points, man. You can get there. I believe. Everyone, bully John. Bully him. A thousand points. Bully me. Thousand points. If I don't get it before the time we record the episode, I will in fact get multiple games in beforehand and then give lots of updates to what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think it'll make for an, an interesting discussion, and uh, I'm excited to learn about the book because I bounced right off of it. So someone's gonna have to take me through it. Yeah, I would. I would classify this book as uh, not Joe flavored. No, this is not my flavor. Uh, but I think that's the interesting thing. Like, there's so many varieties of armies, and uh, it's just fun. To, you know, do a little vacation in the other forces style before running back home <laughs> to my golden boys. I can't wait to fight you with Gene Circle. And when I say I can do a thing, you go, yeah, how the f- you could do what? And I'm like, yeah, I can also do this. You're like, what? What? You do this? Like, oh, well, oh, you just got a bunch of DeWalt power drills. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> I have machine gun spears. How are you killing me with power drills? God, it's got to be great. And if y'all want to hear that discussion, tune in next week. Uh, if uh, y'all enjoyed this episode, uh, give it a rating. We really appreciate it. Uh, and if you've got some folks in your gaming group who might be thinking about custodies, uh, please feel free. Share the episode. You know we always appreciate it. And uh, if you've got somebody looking at Gene Stealer Cults, maybe wait for the next episode and send that to them. Uh, yep. And if you've got your own thoughts, maybe you disagree with us, maybe you have some more questions about custodies that we didn't address, hit us up on social media. They're always open and we're always happy to help people get into a force that we talk about. And uh, that's been all of our opinions. Bonafide, Kentucky Fried. We'll see you all on the next episode.